Well, that's what this series is about, crazy faith. And uh, if you missed last week, I want to encourage you to go online to bridgewater.church and listen to it. Um, it was an amazing sermon. I can say that because I didn't give it. So uh, Pat, Josh, Josh Edwards was up here. He, he even had a picture of him uh, with his four-month-old babies at different points where they were standing on the palm of his hand, four months old, just all by themselves. And, and the point of it being, um, even though we believed, because we have the picture evidence, that uh, he could do that, Lainey came up here, I don't know who in the second service came up, and, um, and said, no, you can't do that with my baby. <laughs> There's a difference between believing someone can do something and actually trusting them to do it. And so I just encourage you to watch that. There's a lot of misunderstanding about faith. I think it's, it's perhaps the second most important virtue in the entire world, number one being love, number two being faith. And um, it's, it's misunderstood because I, I, I think we have this, uh, like, like how Jessica was praying about doubt and faith. We think they're opposites, and it's not true at all. Doubt and faith have the same relationship that fear and courage have. You cannot have courage without fear. If someone does something that looks courageous, but they had no fear doing it, they were just crazy. <laughs> We all know people like that, right? But if you have fear and yet you do what you should do and you do what's right anyway, now that's courage. And it's the same with faith. Faith doesn't have no doubts at all. Faith is even in the face of doubts, trusting God anyway. And there's, there's a, a song the Israelites have sung for thousands of years, Psalm 22. And here's how it goes. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? Jesus quoted it on the cross. Doubt and faith really are not opposites. They are things that can exist together. And so if there is a place on earth where it should be safe to express your doubts and talk about your doubts with others, it should be in church. Right? And, and so we're talking about faith today, but we're not talking about this blind leap in the dark without any reason or logic, I'm going to believe something just because. Really, it's, it's based on reality. It's based on what God has done and what God will do. Here is the uh, definition of faith. I lost my clicker. Is my clicker in the front? Oh, thank you. Thank you, young man. It's my son. <laughs> Um, Hebrews chapter 11 says, Now faith is the confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. King James, I memorized it. Now faith is the, now I'm going to forget it. Help me out. Faith is the hope in what we, yeah. Anyway, it says the evidence about what we don't see in the King James. Um, another way you can translate that word assurance or evidence is proof. Okay, so, so it's, it's not talking about this blind faith in someone, somewhere, somehow. It's talking about a very reasonable faith in, in what you don't see. And I used to think faith was a rare thing. Like a lot of people don't have uh, a great amount of faith. But I've come to realize that actually faith is pretty common. Everyone I meet every day has tons and tons of faith. We talked about crazy faith as trusting in fully what you cannot explicitly prove. But, but here's a, a little exercise to see if how much faith you have. Okay, so this is not a trick question. 
How many of you believe New Zealand exists? Raise your hand. Okay, you believe in New Zealand, all right? You can put your hands down. If you're online, you can actually hit a button to raise your hand, and you can try it out. Um, I've never done it, but so New Zealand exists. Here's the next question. How many of you have been to New Zealand? Raise your hand. If you've been to New Zealand, two people. You guys are crazy. <laughs> Peggy was recently in Liberia and had I don't know how many stitches. And uh, how many? 24. 24 stitches in her head. So um, but God was there because God's everywhere, even in Liberia. And she's back safe with us. And I had a great trip, um, you know, encouraging um, education there among and Christian education, teaching people about God. So, yeah, so there's only two people here this morning that have ever been to New Zealand. The rest of us, you believe in an entire country that you have never seen and never been to. How do you believe in New Zealand? By faith, right? Here's another one. How many of you believe the earth is 93 million miles from the sun? This is not a trick question. This is actually what scientists say, about 150 million kilometers for all of you you know, foreigners here, but how many of you believe Earth is 93 million miles from the sun? 93 million miles, right. Okay, now raise your hand if you have done the astronomical, the, the astra, if you've done the sky observations and the calculations to prove that the Earth is 93 million miles from the sun. How many of you, how many of you have done those calculations and observations? How many? None of you. And yet you believe it. How? By faith. Faith in other people, faith in institutions, faith in, in, in books and facts and maybe even the internet. You know, we have faith all over the place. People have faith in themselves. Sometimes that doesn't work out, but we still have faith in ourselves. We have faith in other people. We have faith in money. We have, some people have faith in politicians. And so this morning, what I'm going to challenge you to do is not to have more faith, but to take some of that faith that you have in other things and other people and put it in God and actually have faith in the God of the Bible. And there's a story that, that about Jesus that Matthew tells in chapter 17 where he teaches his disciples a very important lesson about faith. And here's how he starts. He says, when they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water, and I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. Now, I have to back up to Matthew chapter 10 where Jesus gives his disciples the ability and the power and authority to cast out demons and heal any disease. God will never ask you to do something you can't do. And so God gave his disciples the ability to heal this boy and fix this problem. But it didn't work. And so here's how Jesus responded. You unbelieving and perverse generation. Now, he's not talking to the father now. He's not rebuking the father. The dad's done nothing wrong. He's rebuking his own disciples. Unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of the boy and he was healed at that moment. Amazing. Later on, 
after smarting from that rebuke, the disciples, it says, came to Jesus in private and asked, why couldn't we drive it out? What went wrong, Jesus? And Jesus could have said, well, you see, you're Peter and James and John and the other disciples. You're Andrew and whoever. I'm Jesus. (laughs) But it's not what he said. Because he wasn't able to do it because he was Jesus. He was able to do it because of faith. He He replied, because you have so little faith. Truly, I tell you, if you have the faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. He's saying all you need. Last week we talked about crazy faith. The faith of Elijah, the faith of Noah, the faith of, you know, these greats in the Bible. You know, Jesus, his kind of faith. And and today we're going to talk about mustard seed faith, baby faith. Now, I was all ready. I had Becky go to the grocery store and get a whole bottle of mustard seeds. I estimated there was over 8,000 in the bottle. It was about this big, and I left it at home. So that's a mustard seed. If I was holding, I could have pretended actually and said, I have a mustard seed in my hand. And you, you can't see it. It'd be so small. Basically, Jesus was saying to his disciples, he looked at the biggest thing that they could see. Oh, look, there's a mountain. And then he looked around for the smallest thing he could find. Oh, look, here's a mustard seed. And he said, all you need is this much faith and you can move mountains. Now, we've reimagined this in our mind and we've rescaled it. And we think now that, oh, mustard seed faith is huge. Right, And it takes decades. And you start with a little grain. And then over the years, you grow into this enormous mustard seed sized faith that can do anything. That is not the point. The point is it's not huge. And, and Jesus' point is, I think every single one of us could leave this room this morning with mustard seed faith, with baby faith. And baby faith is all the faith that you need. Baby faith is the ability to trust God and take him at his word. If God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. And what we need to realize is what what we think we need is not as much as we need for God to do what he said he would do. You know, God took, the the, the little boy had five loaves and two fishes, right? God fed over 5,000 men plus women and children. Gideon had 300 men. They defeated an army of tens of thousands of, of, of people. We don't think we have what we need. And even in the faith category, you might be here this morning and say, boy, I, I've only known Christ for a couple months. I'm the flower that was up here before. I mean, this is all new to me. I mean, I, I, I don't have what I need. And I'm telling you, you have everything you need to obey God. He never asks us to do what we can't do with him. And, and that's the key, is to doing things with God and not on our own. And, and having that faith. Well, how do, you, how do you have this baby faith, this mustard-sized seed faith that Jesus is talking about? And it starts, I think, with dependency. Dependency. And, and dependency often is, is learned when we have no other choice. I depend in desperation knowing I have no other choice. Um, this was true of the father in... Um, Mark chapter 9, verse 22. The boy's father, this is more of the conversation. Matthew left this part out. 
Um, but the boy's father says to Jesus, after the disciples couldn't heal him, he says, but if you can do anything, Jesus, take pity on us and help us. If you can, Jesus says, everything is possible for one who believes. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Right? He's saying, ah, ah. I believe you can do it, I, even though I really am not sure you can do it, but I want to believe you can do it. I mean, and that, that was a baby faith step, and that was a maybe faith step, and that was enough. In fact, next Sunday, we're going to talk about maybe faith. Maybe God will show up and do something. Maybe. And I think it's the most eye-opening sermon of all of the most insightful. And I can say that because I didn't write it. Matt Pusser, our pastor in Halstead, wrote the sermon. And, and there's just so, such profound truths. So I encourage you to come back, learn about maybe faith. And that's, that's what this father had, a, a baby faith, a maybe faith, where he's like, I think so. And, and why did he have that faith? Because Jesus was his last chance. He'd probably tried doctors. He'd probably gone to some religious important priest or somebody along the way and say, can you help my son? No, no. All these disciples are healing other people. You can't. No, you can't either. And I have nowhere else to turn. I might as well trust Jesus. It's kind of like if you're going to the prom and you ask every girl in the school if she would go with you and they all say no. And there's one girl left. And you go to that girl, and she knows. She knows. You've asked every other girl in the school. And you go to her, and you say, hey, will you go with me to the prom? And she's like, yeah, I'm the last one, literally. No way. Are you kidding me? You're a jerk. Get out of here. God doesn't have that response. Even though we go to everyone and everything else, and then we finally turn to God sometimes only because we have no other alternative. In his humility and in his love, he says, yes, I'll go with you. I'll show up. I'll work in your life in this situation. Baby faith that begins with dependency. Um, there's two ways to become dependent upon God. Uh, the most common way is when we're forced to. So two weeks ago, about 8 o'clock, Becky's heart started racing. And um, it had happened before, a couple years ago. Usually, sometimes it'll happen for like five seconds and it'll go away. But it just kept going on. And then Jeff Hole, friends of ours, took her to the hospital. One of the great things about the Montrose Hospital is the emergency room. There is no wait. Almost never. I mean, I'm sure there is at times. But so she got right in, and I'm so glad she did. And this is the other great thing about the Montrose Hospital is, is we know people there. And Mary Mulligan was the nurse on duty. Dr. Khalil was there. And immediately they, they, they flew into action, and they, they hooked her up to a monitor. And her heart for over an hour was, was beating over 200 beats a minute. In fact, it, it got up to 270 beats a minute, and the doctor was saying to Mary, keep her talking, because they expected her to pass out. I know, I, if I run really, really hard, and my heart gets up to 180, if my heart gets up to 200, I pass out. <laughs> and so they gave her a medicine to slow her heart down. It didn't work. They doubled the dose. It didn't work. They got the, the crash card in, and they had a third medicine. 
a second medicine that, that was different actually, but a third dose, and they gave that to her, and, and finally that brought things down, and, and uh, they hooked her up to an IV, and they kept her overnight for observation, and, but in that situation, I was totally powerless. Becky was totally powerless. Even the nurse and the doctor were powerless. In fact, Mary Mulligan said afterward, don't you ever do that to me again. If you're going to have an episode like that, make sure I'm not on duty. You scared me, you know, and she said that to me too. And uh, when you have no power to do anything, when you're totally helpless, where can you go except to God? And even, hopefully he's not the last resort, but even when he is the last resort, God is there and, and in that, and he accepts that. And, and Becky's here today. And, uh, you, you know, we need two ways to grow our faith. One is through those forced times of dependence. The other is putting ourselves intentionally in places of dependence on God. That doesn't mean you, like, try to give yourself a heart attack. Pastor Bob said I should have bacon and eggs and lots of cheese and milk and butter every day. Make me dependent upon God. Or, you know, I need to put all my money in lottery tickets and say, God, I'm totally dependent upon you. If you don't show up in these tickets, I'm going to... No, not, not stuff like that, but dependent upon God in doing what he has commanded us to do. The purpose of your life, the purpose of my life, the reason we're here on earth if we're a follower of Jesus. And I know we have people every Sunday that aren't ready to follow Jesus, but if you're here following Jesus... The reason you are alive is to make more and better disciples of Jesus Christ, to become more like Jesus yourself and to bring as many people along with you in the journey. And there is no better way for me to depend on God than to try to be involved in that with other people's lives. Try to have a spiritual conversation with someone and you'll realize that you are completely powerless to change anything. And, and even in your own family, I can't change my kids. I can't make decisions for them. You can't change your spouse. You can't fix, you know, him or her or make them do what you want or what, whatever. Only God can. And intentionally, to put yourself in positions where, where God has to show up or, or nothing is going to happen, nothing good. And that will build your faith. I depend in desperation, knowing I have no other choice. And then it grows by trusting. I trust through verification, watching God show up and work. How, how, how can God show up and work in your life? Um, how can you be dependent upon God? October of 2018, um, Josh Compton and Felicia Allen started coming to our church. And um, a lot of you know Felicia and Josh. Um, Josh was an atheist at that point in his life. By January, you say, why would an atheist come to church? Because his girlfriend wanted him to, duh. You know, make her happy and sure, I can go to church. And by January, though, Josh was like, you know, I, I, God does exist. And Josh and Felicia came and talked to me, and they said, 
you know, we, we, we just have all these questions and we talked after church and answered some of their questions and, and I explained the gospel to them and they said, we want that. We want to accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. Amen. Yeah. We want to accept Jesus as our Savior. And, and I've, I've rarely ever done this and I may have never done this in the past before, but my response to them was, I don't think you should accept Jesus as your Savior right now. I think you need to count the cost. Jesus said at one point to his disciples, no one builds a tower without figuring up, uh, out they have enough money. And, and no one goes to war without figuring out if you have enough men to win. And I think you need to count the cost before you become a disciple and a follower of Jesus Christ because it's a big decision and it involves hard things and it involves trusting God to do weird things. And I said, here's an example. You two are living together. God says that's wrong. Bible says no sex until you're married. And are you willing to count the cost and follow him even in that? And Felicia was like, absolutely. I, I'm ready. And Josh was like, now nah, let's not be hasty. <laughs> I think we need to think about this. <laughs> and so then they left. And the next week I got together with them and, and went through some more things about marriage and, you know, about that. They're saying they want to get married. They're doing some pre-marriage counseling. And I said, now, so are you ready? to follow Jesus this week. And I thought they would be ready because they had a week to count the cost and they were so ready the week before, but they weren't. And they said, no, no, we, we aren't. We have been thinking about it and it's, it is a big step and we don't want to make it. Like, okay, well, let's just keep going. And over the next four months, I asked them multiple times, are you ready now? What's holding you back? And the answer kept being no, no, no. And I thought, Bob, you idiot. They were ready, and you said no, and now they're not ready, and ah, oh, you should have, you know, and I, and again, you know, this is one of those situations I put myself into where I had to be completely dependent upon God because you can't save anybody. God doesn't expect you to save them. In fact, this morning, I went down to the cafe, and Jim was in the cafe. He's a great guy and accepted Christ a few years ago, and he says, what are you, coming down here to save me? And I said, Jim, I can't save you. You, you got that right, he said. There's <laughs> only one person who could save me, and that's Jesus Christ. And, you know, just joking back and forth, but it's true. Put yourself in a place where you have to be dependent upon God and then trust him and watch him work. In May of 2019, you know, five months after, I, you know, they, they said they started saying they weren't ready. Josh called me on the phone, and he had one more, I, I, I said, What's holding you back? And he had one more objection. And I don't remember what it was exactly. It may have been this, but I'm not sure. I think he said, I just feel like if I accepted Jesus now as my Savior, like, like I feel like I need to be just a little bit better. I need to, to, to get my life in line so that I have something, like I'm more presentable to God. I can't present my life to God now the way my life is now. If I, I just need to work on a few things and then I'll be ready and that's what's holding me back. And I said, oh Josh, you will never become presentable to God. I'm still not presentable to God. And I'm a pastor. No, that's not the way it works. The way it works is what you do is you, 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 you trust him now. And you, and you put your faith in him now that he will change you as you go through life with him.
Don't, don't try to do it on your own. And he said, well, that makes a lot of sense. And we talked some more, and there's still some hesitancy. And I said, well, you know what? It seems like you need to figure this out some more. Something's still holding you back. Call me back, you know, if you want to accept Christ, because they still were saying no. And so later on, 930 that night, he texts me back, and he said, what do I have to say to accept Christ as my Savior? And it just reminded me of Acts 16.30, the, the, the Philippian jailer saying to Paul, what must I do to be saved? And I texted to him, boy, you have to ask him to pay the penalty for your sins on the cross, to be your Savior. And then you just need to tell him that you want to follow him, you want him to be your Lord. And about 30 minutes later, he texted me back. He said, we did it, we're saved. And it has been such a joy, and they, they've, they've come to my small group, and I've gotten to know them, and they're just such awesome people. Alicia knows they're awesome. A lot of you know they're awesome, and how God is working in their lives. And you know what? I wouldn't have remembered half of those details if I hadn't written it down. So baby faith starts with dependency, grows by trusting, and one of the things that helps us trust God more is remembering how he showed up for us in the past. Do you have a system of remembering? Maybe it's a journal. What we do as a church, every time you see one of those flowers, uh, someone has written down a story. And we have saved hundreds and hundreds of flower stories so that I could go back and just look it up in the Excel spreadsheet Josh and Felicia Compton, what happened? And reread again. And oh, I forgot about that. I forgot it was a Thursday night. And I forgot it, that he texted me back. He didn't call me. And I forgot about all the, so many of the details. And, and you write it down and you remember it. And it helps you grow your faith for next time. Everybody in this story with Jesus, man, their faith grew. The Father's faith grew. He's like, man, this Jesus, he healed my son. The disciples' faith grew. Like, we couldn't do it, but Jesus said we could have done it, and it was through faith, and next time I, we can do it. Even that little boy, his faith grew. You imagine telling the story. I walked up to someone after the first service, and I said, I heard about you this week. He's like, well, what do you mean about the old Randy? And Randy's like, oh, yeah, I was not a good man. And I said, I, I never knew you then. You're glad, you'd be glad you never knew me. I'm like, no, I wish I did. Because you are so different. God has changed you. And, and you know, Pastor Brett, he's got a blessing box. And every time God answers prayer in a significant way, every time God shows up, he puts something in that box to remember it by. And they open up that box and there's the little hat. I think it was James who had the preemie and the heart problems and and was in the hospital for weeks, and they give you those little hats that go on the head, and they're, they're, like, they're like so small if it's a preemie baby, and just to remember, this is how God showed up when that happened, and, 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 and to praise Him for that, and that grows your faith. Imagine that boy in this story, meeting someone years later, and said, man, you know, it's just, you're so athletic, or you're so cool, or you're so smart, or you're so, and he says, well, I wasn't always that way. I used to be possessed and the demon would throw me into water and fire and I'd have seizures and convulse and what? But God, God saved me from that. And it just builds, builds your faith as we trust him through verification and remember what he's done. Jesus says this a couple 
verses after his story with this healing this little boy. He says, he called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Little children, how? They trust. Little kids are trusting, right? Totally trusting. I believe what my dad says. Why? Because he's my dad. Calvin and Hobbes, two of the greatest philosophers of the last 500 years, also the name of a comic strip, walk us through this trusting thing. Little Calvin asks, how do bank machines work? Well, let's just say you want $25. So you punch in the amount, and then behind this machine, there's a guy with a printing press who makes money and sticks it out of the slot. Sort of like the guy who lives up in our garage and opens the door. Exactly. You know, or how do they, and he'd ask his dad these questions all the time. How do they know the load limit on bridges, dad? Well, they drive bigger and bigger trucks over the bridge until it breaks. And then they weigh the last truck and rebuild the bridge. Oh, I should have guessed. Dear, if you don't know, just tell him. (laughs) You know, two more. Dad, what causes wind? Tree sneezing. Really? No, but the truth is complicated. Dad, why are my, do my eyes shut when I sneeze? Well, if your lids weren't closed, the force of the explosion would blow your eyeballs out and stretch the optic nerves so your eyes would pop around and you'd have to point them with your hands to see anything. Gross. How come you know so much? It's all in the book we get when we become a father. (laughs) At some point, you know, we stop trusting others, and rightly so. (laughs) And there are some of you here, you know, you shouldn't trust and have faith. You shouldn't have faith in someone you don't trust, right? And some of you here, there came a point in your life and you realized, I can't trust my dad or my mom, or my wife, or whoever. And then you've you've transferred it to God. And I can't trust God either. I can only trust in me. Well, how's that working out? Because you know what? You can't trust in yourself either. We need to put our trust in God for two reasons. Not, Not in blind faith, but for two reasons. Number one, because God is powerful. And he can change things. And number two, because God loves you. And that's the most important one. And you can trust him. Kids are so trusting and dependent. You know, we we went on vacation last week. And um, we actually watched online. That's why I knew about Josh. Here's one of my pet peeves. When I go on vacation, I don't take a vacation from God. When I go on vacation, I go to church, and that's not because I'm a pastor. It's because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and I don't take vacations from God. Now, that don't, don't be legalistic about this, okay? It's, it's fine. There have been times where we had, like, little church service with the, with the Brown family and the Isaacson family and the Claypool family and, the, you know, and done it, or whatever. But and anyway, that's beside the point. So, but but to, to trust, when we went on vacation... All the kids got in the car. We're going to Kentucky. Not one of them asked to see a map. None of them checked if we were on the right route at any point in the journey. Why? Because they trust their dad. Or more likely, they trust their mom who's telling their dad where to go. <laughs> and they trust Google because it was on the phone. So, you know, but maybe the, 
maybe the story breaks down there. You don't need a you don't need a map in your life. See the problem we have with trusting God is we think we're the adult in the car. We think we're the one that needs to be behind the wheel and have the map. And God's the kid in the back. And to have the kid up front and the kid driving and the kid having the map, well, that's just crazy. But that's not the way it is. God is the adult. You're the child. You're the one who doesn't know and understand. You're the one who doesn't need to know and understand. He will get you where you need to go. And if it's 24 stitches in Liberia, that's where she needed to go. And this morning, just behind the Robinsons, Mary Zinsavich, battling cancer, it's taken a turn for the worse. He's talking to Jake Boner in Ethiopia. He's like, I so wish I could be there with my Aunt Mary right now and to be with the rest of the family. And I don't know why this is happening. Neither do I. Because I don't have a map and I'm not driving. And neither are you. But you can trust in the Father who is. Dependency on God. The last thing, if, if you're dependent upon God and you trust Him and you, you remember the times where He's shown up before, all you have to do is just to have baby faith is just ask. Just ask God. I ask an expectation that God will do even more. And here's a, a passage. Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, if you have a faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, he cursed the fig tree and it died. It's a long story. You can read it in Matthew 21. But also you can say to this mountain, go and throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. So shoot for the moon. I used to think, and I've, I've shared this before, but it was such a watershed moment in my prayer life. About 20 years ago, we needed a car. And so I, I told Becky, Becky, I'm praying that we get a reliable car for an inexpensive amount of money, for a good price. And Becky said, that's not what I'm praying for. I'm praying that we get a reliable car for free. And I said, you can't pray that way. That's not how it works. <laughs> Here's how it works. You pray for a reliable car for a good price. That's how it works. Like, you, don't, you just don't pray for free. That's just not how it works. And she said, you can pray the way you want, and I'll pray the way I want. I'm like, whatever. We got a car for free. Now, we haven't gotten a car for free since then. But at the time... God knew what we needed. Just shoot the moon. You know, don't, don't hedge in your prayers. You know, don't say, well, you know, give Mary a couple more months. No. Say, give Mary 20 years. And God's driving, and he has the map, and we can trust him, whatever, whatever his answer is. And sometimes it's free car. Sometimes it's a oh, reliable car. For a good price. Sometimes it's something else. But he can be trusted. Just ask. August 8th, I think it is, we're going to do our day of prayer. It's a Sunday, and we pray from, from midnight Sunday morning to midnight Sunday night. We do it in the room next to the cafe. I want to encourage you, even now, to plan on showing up and being there. But between now and then, great news. 
You can pray anywhere, anytime, and just ask God. And as a good father, you can trust him with the answer. Heavenly Father, I just thank you that every single one of us can walk out of here with baby faith today. God, I just pray that you would give us that baby faith to trust you at your word. When you say, I will never leave you or forsake you, to believe that, that you'll never leave or forsake us. When you say, let the peace of God, uh, pray all things with thanksgiving, and then the peace of God will, will guard over our hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. God, we believe that to be true, that th- we can have your peace. God, we take you at your word. Help us to trust you with what you say. And just to leave the details on the map up to you. God, give us that baby faith and dependency upon you. And then, Lord, just that we would watch you work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.